You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. finished. It's not ongoing. It's not continually happening. It's not a process, even though God is involved in his creation. And this should put the rest the evolution issue. It doesn't continue. Creation is done. It's over. So let's put all these thoughts together before my mind explodes. Jesus Christ is the word, the logos of God. Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus Christ is creator. Are you wrapping your brains around this, folks? It's hard to understand something that's always existed. Your mind's been trained to learn that something begins and ends, but God doesn't exist within those confines. Today, Pastor Dave explores the first few verses of this book by honing in on the fact that Jesus existed as God before he came as man. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 1 as he begins his message, The Word. We're going to read the first five verses of the Gospel of John, and we're going to read verse 14. So, first five verses of the Gospel of John and verse 14. So if you want to follow along as I read aloud, you want to read silently, Gospel of John, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Slide down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. David's son, now King Solomon, built the temple. Finally, the temple is built. And you can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 8. The temple is built, and he is going to dedicate the temple. And he makes a very interesting statement as he gets ready to dedicate the temple. In fact, it's a question. He says in 1 Kings 8.27a, Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Will God indeed dwell on the earth? What a question. Why would he ask such a question? Why would Solomon speak? Well, I can see three reasons. Number one, we know through scriptures, because those of you who are with us as we went through the book of Exodus, we know that God's glory dwelt in the tabernacle where the ark was between the cherubim. God's glory dwelt there. You can find that in Exodus 40, verse 34. We know that God's glory dwelt in the temple that Solomon indeed built. You can find that in 1 Kings 8, verses 10 and 11. But Ezekiel tells us that because of Israel's disobedience, 
God's glory left. God's glory left the nation and departed from them. Solomon was asking, will God ever dwell on earth with men again? Something glorious happened. The most glorious event that ever took place. The glory of God did return. And God did come once again to his people. But this time he came as a man. He came in person as the only begotten son of God. John says, this is what I want you to know. This is why I'm writing this gospel to you. You see, there were four gospels. You know that. And in each gospel, we have a snapshot of the Lord's life on earth. And you put them all together, you get a much larger picture. But no biography could be written. Even John says that. At the end of his gospel, in chapter 21, in the very, very last verse, he says, and there are so many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. You got to laugh. It always tickles me when I read the New King James and John is writing about, especially during the resurrection, when John says, and the apostle, the one who Jesus loved, as he talks about himself. I like that. I really do. You know what, folks? You should put your name in there. You should be able to say your name, the one who Jesus loves. I think that's a cool thing, but I like John about that. But he comes to his, he takes a different route altogether. This beloved disciple now writes to both the Jews and the Gentiles alike, and he presents Jesus as none other than the Son of God. And John, I love the man, pulls no punches. He pulls no punches. Now, how do we know that he wrote to the Gentiles? Well, we surmise this because when you look at his gospel, all of the Jewish traditions and customs, John explains. So it's naturally, if he's writing to Gentiles, they wouldn't know the Jewish customs, so he had to explain them. But to the Jews, he claims that Jesus not only fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies, but Jesus fulfilled the types and we've studied the types. Remember when we were talking in Judges, we were talking in Ruth, we were the types, various types in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled them. John's going to say that Jesus is the Lamb of God. John's going to say Jesus is the ladder from heaven. Jesus is the new temple. Jesus does give new birth. Jesus is the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. And Jesus is the bread of God that came down from heaven. Jesus fulfilled these types. And whereas the first three Gospels describe the events in the life of Jesus, and John does as well, but John goes another step further, John records the meaning of these events. For example, all four Gospels talk about the feeding of the 5,000. A beautiful, beautiful thing. But only John records Jesus' sermon about the bread of life, which followed the miracle. So see, something happens, John explains why it happened. John had great insight, and of course, being led by the Holy Spirit. John followed the Holy Spirit to the T. But there's one major theme throughout the epistle, and it appears over and over and over again. We've already talked about it, but to prove that I'm not making it up, if you look at John 20 in verses 30 and 31, John writes this, verse 30 in chapter 20. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but... 
These things, in other words, the things that I have written to you, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. This is why John wrote his gospel. I had already explained that to you. John, is, remember, is writing to Jews and Gentiles. He wants to convey to them that Jesus is the Son of God. And committing your life to him, you will have eternal life. Now, you probably know people, I do, and I'm sure you do too, who tell you that nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God. There are those people who will firmly stand upon that, and they say, nowhere in the Bible does it definitively say that Jesus is God. Well, I have an answer to them. Hogwash. Hogwash. Obviously, they've never read the first five verses of John's Gospel. They've never read and studied the first five verses, let alone verse 14. In this chapter alone, the apostle records these various titles of Jesus Christ that clearly, clearly identify him as the one true eternal God, coexistent, co-equal. In fact, as we begin our study in the first verse, in fact, verse 1a, there's two of them there. In this verse, we see Christ the Word. In the beginning was the Word. John uses the Greek word logos. Logos denotes an expression of thought. And in this term is used in a very personal way. And it becomes the title for the Son of God, the Word. And it's substantiated by all the other statements as we go down in this chapter. And I'm going to prove it to you. Now, when we speak... We use words to reveal to others our hearts and our minds. Sometimes we shouldn't speak and reveal those things, but we do. When Jesus spoke, Jesus was God's word. And when he spoke, he revealed the heart and mind of God. We know that words are composed of letters. One of Jesus' name is the Alpha and the Omega, the Greek alphabet, beginning and the end, first and last letters. We know that. And I think you guys probably read this today in the class of Hebrews. Let me read you Hebrews 1, 2, 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke and passed to the fathers by the prophets, has in these days, these last days, spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir to all things, through whom also he made the world who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had had himself purged of our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is God's last spoken words to mankind. Jesus is God's last spoken words to mankind. It's the climax of divine revelation. Jesus is the climax of God's divine revelation. And the Greek word logos is extremely important to us. See, the Greeks, you know, they're all about philosophy. And they developed this philosophy on the assumption that the logos, the word, was the foundation of everything in the earth. The word was the foundation of everything on the earth. And according to Plato, the earth was simply a shadow of the reality of the logos that existed somewhere in the heavens. Now, the Jews took it a step further. While Plato said that behind everything there is a perfect thought, logos, the word, the Jews said that behind every thought there must be a perfect thinker. And so the Jews planned it that way. 
And then the Apostle John jumps square in the middle of this argument and he says this, in the beginning was the Logos, the Word, God. Not a passing philosophy, but a personality. A personality. In the beginning was the Logos, the perfection and the thinker. In the beginning was the Logos. It's as if John is saying, you know, for centuries I've been talking and thinking and writing about the word Logos. Now I'm going to tell you who he is. His name is Jesus and he's the Christ. And you need to know him. Jesus, the Christ, the word. So what does John do? John takes the Jews and the Greeks right where they are and explains Jesus in terms that they can understand. And when we're witnessing to somebody, if we explain Jesus in words that they can understand, they can grasp. It's so much better for them to know. Jesus is the Word. He is the Logos of God. And this even becomes clearer when you look at verse 2. Why? Look at verse 2. Look at the first word of verse 2. Remember, let me reread verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He. All of a sudden, the word Logos, the word the Word, becomes a person. He. He was in the beginning. He's identified. So we see Christ is the Word of God. Christ is the Logos of God. And the next thing we see about Jesus is that he is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Go back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus was there in the beginning. John's Gospel starts in the beginning, just like Genesis 1-1 started. In the beginning. And unlike other Gospels that use Jesus' name right at the start, or recall the birth of Jesus, John declares Jesus' pre-existence. He was in the beginning. And this refers to Genesis 1-1, when the book said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John essentially says, when the beginning began, the Word was already there. John is clearly saying that the Word predates creation. The Word has always existed. Jesus has always existed. Again, this is clearly identifying him as God. Clearly identifying him as co-creator. In fact, John uses the very same words. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. And if you're a student of theology, you know that the Hebrew name for God used here is Elohim. Elohim. It's used in a singular sense, but it has a plural meaning. It has a plural meaning. So right away, the triune God is even spoken about in verse 1 of the very Bible. Jesus existed in the beginning, not because he was created, but because he is internal. Wherever the beginning was, whatever happened there, Jesus was there. He had the beginning. He has no end. He's eternal. Jesus Christ is divine. Look at the second part of verse 1. And the word was with God... Okay, and the Word was God. Let me read that again. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here you see Jesus' divinity, his deity. John declares that not only Jesus is the Word, the Logos of God, not only is he eternal, pre-existing all things, he goes so much deeper and says, Jesus is God. The Word was with God in the beginning, he was with God, and now he is God. Again, in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. The pronoun he. What a powerful declaration of Christ's deity. 
What a powerful declaration. It's so plain. It's so forthright. If you allowed a little child to read it, they would go, oh, yeah, Jesus is God. They would know it right away. Now, there are people out there who don't want you to know this. There are people out there who don't want you to know this because they've changed this verse. My dear friends who are at the end of the corner down here, the Jehovah Witnesses, and I don't like to bash churches, but they're down there. They've taken this verse and they've added an article, article a. And their translation reads, and the word was a God. Changes the whole thing. Changes the whole picture. No, Jesus was and is God. They had to create something that didn't exist to it to get their point across. John is starting out with his plain declaration that Jesus, the word, is God. This is as straightforward as it gets. It doesn't get any more straightforward than this. Jesus is coexisting with the Father. He was the word was with God. Jesus is co-equal with the Father. The word was God. Well, didn't Paul write this in Philippians? Didn't Paul write this in Philippians 2, verse 6, when he said, talking about Jesus, who being the form of God? Well, yeah. Here, this verse describes his pre-incarnate existence. We must remind ourselves that Jesus did not begin his existence in the manger in Bethlehem. Everybody has that thought. Well, that's where he began. No, he didn't. He was before the foundations of the world. He pre-existed everything. He is eternally God. And the word being is from the ancient Greek word hupartium, which describes that which is man in his very essence, which cannot be changed. It describes that part of a man which in any circumstances remains exactly the same. Paul used this word. And informs the Greek leaders that our Lord's possession of divine essence did not cease to be a fact when he came to earth. Did you hear what I said? When Jesus came to earth, his divinity did not stop. He was always God. He always had all the characteristics of God. But he also had all the characteristics of man. And this refutes the claim of modernism who tell you our Lord emptied himself of his divinity, emptied himself of his deity. No, he did not. The word form here in the ancient Greek means morph. It always signifies a form which truly and fully expresses the being which underlies it. It means being on equality with God in this instance. And morph is essential, and it's a form that never alters. The word schema is outward form, which changes from time to time, from circumstance to circumstance. God has a form. And Jesus Christ exists in that form, which is God. So we've only covered two verses. We've only covered two verses. And, the, and, and, and you know, if I was a defense attorney, I'd be winning my case right now. I'd be looking pretty good. I would be looking pretty good and saying, listen, here's, here's, all the, here's all the evidence here. We see that Jesus is the Word, the Logos. We saw that Jesus Christ is eternal. We saw that Jesus Christ is divine. And then John says, okay, here comes another one, guys. Jesus Christ is the Creator. Ah, that's what it says. Look at verse 3. All things. Remember, the Greek word for all means all. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. God created the worlds with His Word. God said, let there be light. He spoke it into existence. The psalmist in Psalm 33, in verse 9, says, 
For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. I like that. In Colossians 1.16, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. Once again, this rebutes those who would say Jesus is a created being. This rebukes them. Interesting here, though, that the verb that says was made is in the perfect tense. And for those of you who aren't English majors like myself, it means it's a completed act. In other words, creation's done. Creation's finished. It's not ongoing. It's not continually happening. It's not a process, even though God is involved in his creation. And this should put the rest the evolution issue. It doesn't continue. Creation is done. It's over. So let's put all these thoughts together before my mind explodes. Jesus Christ is the word, the logos of God. Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ is God. And Jesus Christ is creator. Are you wrapping your brains around this, folks? Are you wrapping your head around what John's trying to say? And we've only done three verses. Well, let's do another. In verse 4, John makes another claim. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So now we see Christ is life. Now, we're going to find that there are many, many key issues in the Gospel of John. That's why I love Gospel of John. It's so intertwined. It is so exciting. I'm very excited about being able to teach it. But life is a key issue in John's gospel. He mentions it no less than 36 times. We know that there are four essentials to life. When we agree upon these, light, air, water, and food. Can we agree upon those? If you don't have light, air, water, and food, eventually you'll die. We can agree upon that, right? Jesus, according to the gospel of John, is every one of these. Jesus is every one of these. John 8, 12 says, He is the life and the light of the world. In Malachi 4, 2, He is the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. In John 3, 8, by His Spirit, He gives us the breath of life. And in John 7, 37, 39, the Holy Spirit gives us the water of life. And finally, in John 6, 35, Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven. And not only does Jesus have life, does Jesus give life, Jesus is life. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is life. He who has the Son has what? Life. He who has the Son has life, it says in 1 John 5, 12. He who has the Son has life. Jesus is the life. What did he say to Mary in John eleven twenty five? 25? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he be dead, will never die. You are a sure We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on A Sure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at AshoreHopeRadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.